the Wealthy Trucker Podcast. My name is Eric Neely, and joining me today is Adam Doran. Adam, how are you? Hey, Eric. Doing good, man. Thanks for inviting me to be your guest today. No problem, man. So a little bit about Adam. Adam Doran is a uh, former police officer turned wealth advisor who's been investing in real estate since 2011. Uh, he started with wholesaling, then purchased his first rental property in 2012. And uh, using creative financing and the Burr method, he accumulated a portfolio of single family rentals in his home market of Kansas City. He transitioned to multifamily in 2019, now owns 52 units with some partners. And in addition to his real estate investing, Adam works full-time as a wealth advisor where he specializes in working with real estate investors, small business owners on creative capital strategies to build tax-free wealth while maintaining growth and liquidity. So, so really what your focus is these days is, is your full-time job, sounds like, is, is a wealth advisor. Does that, that sound right? That's right. Yep. Awesome. So, you know, I what I want to do is before we really get into what you do today is I want to talk about what what your background is and you know how you grew up and and what it is that created Adam Dorian today. So, with that premise in mind, where'd you grow up, man? Yeah, I grew up in Central Iowa, um, and I grew up in the city, but had ties to the country because my dad grew up on a farm, my mom grew up on a farm, my grandparents, their both sets of parents lived on the farm. So even though I was growing up in the city as a kid, I often would spend uh, summers and any time I could get a break from school on the farm, riding horses with my grandpa, fixing fence, uh, spending time out in the pasture, playing around with my cousins. So that's kind of what growing up looked like for me. Riding horses, what is that like? (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've been on I've been on like one horse in my entire life I've always I've always been out in the country I've been a country kid but uh, I can only remember riding a horse one time so yeah it, you know it was fun really and I enjoyed that yeah I, I learned the uh, the life lesson that gets talked about in parable form often about you know when you when you fall off a horse or get or you get knocked off a horse you get back up and get back on and I know what that looks like in real life and it's and it's a challenge and I think that's why they made it a metaphor is because it's kind of hard and it's kind of scary when you get thrown off the horse the first time yeah did your uh your grandpa instill great wisdom in you or what was that relationship like absolutely he was a really hard-working guy and my dad's work ethic and my work ethic probably comes from him and probably a long line of hard workers before them. So for sure, I got my work ethic from from that guy. Nice. So then uh, what did school look like for you? So I grew up in public school and um, and I did uh, some extracurricular activities. I really liked football, but unfortunately, I was one of the smaller kids in my class. I really liked basketball, but I wasn't able to run as fast or jump as high as a lot of the others. So by the time high school rolled around, I just had to stick with music. And I lettered in music, which nobody really talks about or brags about, but that was kind of my thing was singing. Dude, I lettered in music too. 
I, uh, I got <laughs> one. I got one at state playing the trumpet. Uh, I loved playing the baritone. And one of my biggest regrets in life, honestly, is that I quit playing the piano. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> I did. I I, I love sports too. I was never the smallest one though. I played football, but I didn't really enjoy it. I mean, it was fun, but it was never my love, you know. And uh, I played basketball every year I could. And I ran, but it was never a passion. I just did it because all the other guys were doing it. So, but I actually loved music. I really did. I still love it today. Sometimes I think maybe I ought to go sing, but I don't know how that would really turn out. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Well, and then, so that was, uh, where, where'd you go to high school at? Uh, I went to high school in my hometown, which is Ames, Iowa. Ames, Iowa. Okay. Yep. Cool. Well, eventually you got to Kansas City. How did that process all work? Yeah, so growing up, I knew I was probably either going to be a pilot or a professional fisherman or a cop. And uh, <clears throat> we didn't live really in nearby any aviation schools and, and didn't have a lot of support from my dad on the dream of being a pilot. And uh, neither one of my parents, I think, felt very confident in the uh, professional fisherman dream. Although now looking back in retrospect, I probably could have pulled that off. Um, but I, I ended up deciding on I was going to be a police officer. And so I ended up in Kansas through that. When I was 21, just old enough to be a cop, I got hired in Dodge City, Kansas. And I was there for a couple of years as a police officer, then worked my way across the state till I ended up in Kansas City in 2005. And uh, I was a police officer from 2005 to 2018. And in January of 2018, I left that to do what I do now as a wealth advisor. Gotcha. So you said you said you had three different things. You were either going to be a cop or what, and what were the other two? Or a pilot or a professional fisherman. So where did that come from? Like, uh, I mean, where, where was that mindset? Was that in high school or? Yeah. So. Well, I, uh, the first time I flew in a plane, I think it was like five years old, flew in a private plane and just had such a great time. And um, I got up in the private plane as often as I could, as often as somebody would, would let me. I used to, my mom was really cool. She'd take me out to the local airport and let me just hang out. And oftentimes I would just, you know, chat up the pilots and they just got a kick out of this young kid was all in the planes and every once in a while I'd get offered a, a free ride or they'd call it a, a discovery ride in the planes at the local airport. I also got a tour of Barry Manilow's jet when he was in town for a concert. His pilots came out to the, the fence at the airport and let me in and let me tour his, uh, his private jet, which was really cool. So cool. flying just seemed like a fun thing. Um, police work also seemed like a fun thing. And fishing is pretty much my obsession, even to this day. So, uh, you know, I, I would do fishing every hour of every day if I could get away with it. Um, so really, all of my career ideas were inspired by stuff that I liked to do um, and stuff that was exciting to me. My grandpa and I used to stay up late watching cops on TV, and I just always found it fascinating. And when I was old enough to start doing ride-alongs with the local police department, I did, and I just really got addicted to the excitement of being a street cop. And so, you know, in, in deciding on those career choices, I felt like I had the most, most family support behind the police officer dream. 
and um, and it also seemed to be the closest within reach to me, uh, be, you know, because of a couple of different factors. The the professional fisherman thing didn't seem like it was very easily within reach. Uh, you know, Iowa is not really the place where you find a lot of uh, famous fishing and famous fishermen and fisherwomen. Um, and the pilot thing, you know, I have I have pretty terrible vision as evidenced by the glasses on my face. So um, yeah, I, I went into being a cop. Gotcha. It's funny you say cops. I used to watch that show all the time too. And as soon as you said it, I had the, the theme song song pop into my head bad boys bad boys <laughs> <laughs> well that's cool it's it kind of reminds me of you know i'm a trucker today by profession alongside some of the investing i do but uh, uh i can still remember somewhere around five six seven years old i had a, a toy truck that my parents got me for christmas and i mean it was a like a to scale semi with a detachable trailer and I remember playing with it and saying back then I was gonna drive a semi one day and it's kind of interesting how those little things enter into our minds as children and stick with us for life yep so absolutely I imagine flying a plane is, is still an interest to you I would I would guess yeah, yeah, and I see myself still uh, at some point, you know, obtaining a pilot's license and doing that. Um, it'll just probably be for fun rather than as a career. Yeah. Cool. Um, what do you think of when you hear the word wealth? I think of two things. I think of freedom and impact. Freedom as it obtaining as it pertains to me, you know, if. If I have wealth, if I possess wealth, then I have a level of freedom of choice of what I do with my time and, you know, what, what I can, what my options are. Um, I think of impact or influence because when you have wealth, you have the resources to create influence and to create impact. So those are the two things I think of primarily when I hear the word wealth. Gotcha. That kind of, you know, I certainly relate to that. And when, when I, when I hear the word wealth, I think about it in four different areas. I think about it, the, the amount of wealth one can attain just in knowledge or certainly in money, um, you know, skills. And so, you know, when I think about it, I think about it, faith, family, fitness and finance, because those areas of life are, you know, they're, they're integral to everybody. Everybody is impacted by those different areas of life in one way or another, whether it's good or bad. And uh, so I don't know, how, how do you see wealth in those different areas in your life? Faith, family, finance, and fitness? Yeah, faith, you know, my mom, uh, The way I, I grew up, my mom taking me to church every Sunday and I grew up with faith being a, a core part of our values, and that stuck with me. I still am a regular attender at church and a and a believer, a Christian, um, and it's pretty much the framework. You know, my ethical and values framework is built on that faith. So I consider that to be wealth because it provides me a compass or a guide just in making daily decisions and how I do life and 
the vision that I have for, you know, where I'm taking my life all ties back to that faith. As far as family's concerned, and it's interconnected as well, um, you know, the family values that I have, again, stem from that faith foundation. And family is a, a I place a high value on that. You know, I enjoy spending time with my family. I, I really treasure those relationships. And so I consider that wealth because they're always there for me. They're always there, you know, no matter what goes wrong in life, your family's always there. Um, as far as fitness is concerned, I think that's a key aspect of wealth, because if you don't have, if you don't have good health, it's hard to have anything else. Good health is what gives you the ability, you know, the mobility, the strength, the energy to be able to go out and be productive, to be a contributor, to form and maintain relationships, um, to participate in activities. So fitness is definitely a core component of overall wealth. If, if you don't have your health, it's hard to have anything else. Um, and then finances is probably the first thing that comes to mind for me with the term wealth. And I would guess it is for a lot of people as well, because traditionally when we think wealth, we think rich and having a lot of money. And, um, but I do think wealth in your finances has a lot to do with <clears throat> feeling in control, um, having options because you have enough financial resources at your disposal that you can choose different things in life um, versus having to do something because you're dependent on doing something for money. Um, it just feels like you're more in control when you have, have an abundance of financial resources or monetary wealth. It just gives you the options to do the things you want to do and to have choices rather than to feel forced into certain things. I'll give you an example. I think a lot of folks who don't have financial wealth, they feel like they have no options but to do the job they do because it's the only way they know how to get a hold of enough money to pay the bills they have to pay. And maybe they don't take the trips they want to take because they don't have the money to take those trips or to buy the airline tickets or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, financial wealth, just being important to have those choices. Yeah, that, that, that speaks direct to my thought on it too. And as you know, growing up in the church and that, that's me too. I grew up in the church. My mom always went to the church. There's a certain stigma that is thrown against money a lot there and, and whether or not a lot of money is a good thing. And I've always kind of struggled with that and thought you know what the more i've learned about wealth and and finances and handling finances responsibly and, and like you just said here it gives you options and freedom if if i'm going to my job and just barely getting by struggling to pay or you know struggling from check to check i am solely focused on money at that point in my life, like everything I'm due is to get money. And, and that, that's a problem. I believe, you know, <laughs> if you, yeah. if you had enough money, like you said, or you have options and you've got some freedom to be able to, whatever it is, even if it is to go have a fun vacation, so be it. But you know, maybe now you have options to, to give more and, and start, 
nonprofit organization because you have the time to do it. To me, all of a sudden you've got the ability and you're no longer dependent on money and you're using it like a tool, like the tool it was designed to be. And so that's awesome. That's, I was hoping you would get to something like that. So with all that said, what, what do you focus on life now that gives you direction? Help me, help me understand what you're asking there. Well, is it, are you focused on the finances that gives you the direction on where you go on a daily basis? Or are you focused on developing a better family life? Or are you focused on, is it your faith gotcha. that gives you gotcha. the majority of your direction? Yeah, good question. Well, <clears throat> I think my focus between those pillars that you're discussing, I think my focus maybe on a year to year basis or even on a month to month basis might change or adjust based on where I feel like I need the most work. <laughs> yeah. So um, my, my focus for a while now has been on the financial side of it. Um, and I've been starting to see the rewards of that, which has actually allowed me then freedom of time to begin focusing more on both fitness and family. Um, the, the, the faith piece, I, I feel like is a, it, it you know, like I said, I'm a, a regular attender at church and regularly involved in church activities. And my wife and I take time to pray together and read together on a daily basis. So I feel like that's established as a built-in discipline, just as it's part of our habits. Um, but I, I have spent most of my time lately focusing on the financial side of wealth building. And now because we're getting some, some payoff in that, um, it has freed up some of my time to have more family time and more focus on my fitness, making sure that working out is a regular part of the regimen as well. Gotcha. So it's fair to say that, that faith is definitely a foundational thing, but it's, it's, it's such a regular thing. You don't have to really force yourself to do it. I guess it's maybe a good way to put it. It's, it's just a regular thing. Yeah. Um, was there ever a time in your life where you were focused on something that you ultimately recognized was not only leading you down the wrong path? Oh, sure. Um, oh, there was a time in my life, I guess, I don't know what the term would be. There was a time in my life I was girl crazy and realized that in pursuit of having a dating relationship, it was pulling me away from other things in life that were more important. I also realized that, you know, to be the best partner for somebody, you've, you've got to be personally developed yourself. You've got to be the best version of yourself. And it was at the point I realized that I was, I'll keep using the term girl crazy, that I was like, you know, I need to work on me. And uh, that was helpful to me. It helped me become a more independent person, helped me become more self-aware um, and just helped me become, I think, more mature and more wise of an individual. So that, that, that was, 
a big moment for me when that happened. And that was probably about 2000 and 2004 that that happened. How old were you? 23. 23. So not, not too far out of high school. That's, that's interesting. You had a mindset, mind, yeah, mindset shift. I mean, I guess it's different for everybody, obviously, to have them earlier or later in life. Um, what, do you remember what brought that about? Uh, the end of one of my relationships. Yep. Gotcha. And just taking time to do some self-reflection. Nice. Um, well, so eventually, you said you talked about being a cop. And one of the things that popped into my head when you said Dodge City is I, I think you're probably not quite old enough to have met Wyatt Earp, but uh, <laughs> that always pops into my mind being from Kansas. I, I think, yeah, I, I can brag about Wyatt Earp. <laughs> but uh, was there anything in Dodge City that, 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 that did the police force there still talk about Wyatt Earp? So at the time I was there in the main hall of the police department, there was in portraits on the wall, there was the lineage of law enforcement in Dodge City. And the very first portrait was Wyatt Earp um, as the first city, city marshal. And then it went all the way from him down the line to who the present day police chief was. And I just thought it was really cool that I felt like I was part of a piece of history in American law enforcement that I had walked the same halls and worked at the same, uh, it worked in the same city. I guess maybe not walk the same halls because I doubt it was the same police department when he was there. But but bottom line, just to be a part of that lineage, <laughs> I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, I bet it would be. That's, that's cool. So, so, and then ultimately you ended up in the finance world. So talk about that transition from police and then, and then entering into the, the world of finance where you find yourself today. Yeah. So I, it was about 2011 that I realized I'd been in the, I'd been in the field of law enforcement for about 10 years and I never had any real, um, never had made wealth building a study, never had any real conceptualization of what it looks like to accumulate and build something financially speaking. I had gotten into police work because it was fun and exciting going back to, you know, all of my ambitions for different careers, what was fun and exciting to me. Well, I was married at the time, had a kid, priorities had changed and I got tired of giving up the best of my time. I was giving up nights, weekends, holidays, and I wasn't making a whole lot more money than when I started 10 years ago. And I definitely was not any better off financially. I was worse off financially. And I was like, this isn't working. I thought you get into a career, you stay steady in your career and you advance and you, you end up being you know, better off. And I wasn't better off. So just through that dissatisfaction, I started doing my own research, started going to seminars and learning about how real wealth works and how you build it. And I found out that I was going to have to do something different than what I've been doing. And I basically kind of had three main takeaways 
from some of the seminars I went to and the studying that I did. And those three main takeaways were that I was going to need to start a business. I was going to need to learn about real estate and learn about the financial markets because wealthy people owned businesses, owned real estates, and understood the financial market. And so that was the path I started in 2011. And through the course of studying and actually getting involved with real estate and experimenting with a couple of different business ventures, that led me down the path to where ultimately I went into business for myself as a wealth advisor, specializing in serving real estate investors. Nice. Would you say your view on money changed like as you started going through all that process? It did. Um, when I was, you know, pre, pre, um, what do you want to call it? Personal transformation or personal revelation. Before that time, I had always seen money as a scarce resource that you had to work really hard for. And if you wanted to make more money, you had to work harder and give more time up. And when I learned that money is actually an abundant supply and how much you're compensated is relative to the value that you provide and that there are ways to be compensated without exchanging your time for money. When I started learning those things, I was like, oh, that's a whole new, that's a whole new paradigm. And so I had to really shift my paradigm of understanding that, you know, you can do a lot better for yourself if you kind of learn some of these concepts about how to make your money go to work for you was a concept I learned, how to ultimately provide the world more value and get more in exchange for the value you're providing. I started learning about those things that totally changed the way I think about money. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that a similar thing happened to me being out here on the road. I, I spent a lot of my time listening to podcasts and, and, uh, reading audio books and I seriously had a major mind set shift happen out here just you know kind of the same thing you're talking about there I, I'm a trucker for a cop and I think I'm gonna do it for the rest of my life my back's killing me and and I'm not seeing my family and then I look at my retirement account and it's growing but I'm like I don't know what that means is it actually gonna get me there and and so, yeah, I can definitely relate. And that's when I started making a change too and, and developing things, even though I love trucking, I really do. So sounds like you didn't hate police. You just realized it wasn't going to get you where you needed to go in life. So well, that's cool. So what what is the uh, wealth advisor uh, role look like? I mean, what, what do you do there? Could you help somebody like me, a trucker? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, so the firm that I work at in Kansas City is called Prevail Strategies. And the firm's vision lines up with what my own personal vision was when I got into this business, which is that the financial industry, financial services industry is broken. And I think it fundamentally, it does people a disservice because the traditional setup for you know, working with a financial advisor or financial planner, the traditional setup takes control away from you and takes liquidity away from you and puts you in a tax trap. And, the, you know, the evidence of that is most 
meetings with a financial advisor, the way it goes is, you know, they're positioned as the expert, they present you this plan, they sell you some insurance, and then they take control of your assets, they take your assets under their management, and charge a fee for that. And you're just supposed to trust that over the next 20, 30 years, you know, the, the value of those assets will grow. And meanwhile, your liquidity, you don't have any liquidity. So maybe you've got, you know, a quarter million dollars or half million dollars or more in assets that they've helped you accumulate. But if you want access to that money, you can't have access because it's in these tax deferred retirement accounts that you're not allowed to touch the money until you're 59 and a half unless you want to pay taxes and a penalty. So you've got no liquidity. And those accounts are generally tax deferred accounts like 401ks and IRAs. And so you haven't paid taxes on any of the money and the pile of money is getting bigger. And I firmly believe that tax rates in the future are much more likely to be higher than they are to be lower. And so most of America is accumulating their wealth in these tax deferred accounts where they didn't pay taxes on the money yet. The account's getting bigger. And if you think tax rates are going up in the future, that means your problem with, with the potential tax bill is getting bigger and bigger every year. So tax trap, no liquidity, no control. That's what I see is wrong with this industry. So my goal and our goal at Prevail is to educate people, educate the clients we work for on that tax trap, on how to take back control, on how to build liquidity for yourself. And so we focus on helping you build tax-free assets, doing it with accounts that give you liquidity so that if there's a quarter million dollars in the bucket of money, you can reach in and use that quarter million dollars if you need to go invest in real estate or buy a business or start a business. Um, and then just giving back control because when you have access to money, you have control. Uh, so that's our focus. And real estate is also a key part of our focus. Um, our firm has a real estate opportunities division uh, where we're going out, partnering with asset managers around the country, vetting the, those asset managers, vetting their deals and offering clients the opportunity to participate, you know, deal by deal. So not a fund, not a REIT, but actually deal by deal, having the opportunity to participate. And I, I just, that's very unique. Uh, I don't know that there's anyone else in our industry doing it that way. And I think we're ahead of the curve on that. And I think you're going to see the financial services industry trying to play catch up to this trend. Um, and the trend is that people are interested in being involved with alternative assets, that, that people don't want to do it the same old way that everybody's been doing it, right? Where we pile this money in these tax deferred accounts and then put it into Wall Street. I think yeah. folks are wanting to learn about other options. And so, you know, things like what you're doing as well, Eric, I know, I know you and, and the group that you work with, you're looking at giving people access to opportunities in real estate. And I just, there needs to be more of that going on. Yeah, I kind of see that becoming more of a thing. It's, you know, that's why I got interested in it because I was kind of tired of the same old, same old. And I didn't have any control over what my money was invested in. It was all just my quote unquote financial advisor who gave me a uh, an annual picture of what my plan was which I had no idea what that even meant <laughs> but that's on me partially for not really taking it serious um, but yeah I know that you know, the more I learned about it the more my the idea that my uh, 
money that was in my 401k was inaccessible. That just it still angers me today. But I learned a lot, you know, about how to gain access to it and how I could put it into to real estate and and uh but then I also learned about kind of what you guys are doing at Prevail and and I I hold one of those policies as well. And uh so we should probably talk a little bit about that. I mean, that I read the book um, by Nelson Nash out here on the road, and that was really what, man, it kind of blew my mind about just what what options are out there for people, and they have no idea because we're kind of uneducated in that in this sense, especially you know in high school and frankly even college. I don't know that anybody focuses on this until they realize it's time to start building wealth in life. Yeah, I think what you're mentioning there, Eric, is uh, a strategy where we're positioning dividend paying whole life insurance as an asset in part of someone's overall strategy or someone's overall portfolio. And uh, what's unique about that is, you know, the most folks and, and, by no fault of their own, but by how our industry tends to set people up by default, when they think assets, they think of, you know, a couple of things that they own, plus whatever they've built up in their retirement accounts or, uh, you know, bank accounts, trading accounts. And those are what we call assets. Well, life insurance is generally viewed as an expense because people are familiar with death benefit and purchasing a death benefit. And you don't get anything out of it today. You just, you spend money every month to pay for this death benefit that's hopefully going to help somebody that comes after you, your kids or whoever. And we look at it very differently. And life insurance, when it's built properly and structured properly, can actually serve as a very unique asset today to benefit you today, building tax-free wealth and building up liquid funds that you can then deploy in other places. And what's unique about it, as opposed to, say, a savings account, or a, a trading account, like a brokerage account, where you could also deposit money and, and build the pile of money up. If you use a savings account or if you use a brokerage account, and let's just say you're earning some yield on that account. If you then take money out of the account and go put it into a real estate deal, well, you can only earn money in one place at one time. It's either earning a yield in the savings account or in the brokerage account, or it's earning a yield in the real estate deal, but it can't do it in both places at the same time. And when you use dividend paying whole life insurance with a mutual insurance company that has the right type of policy structures, you can actually continue to earn minimum guaranteed interest plus a non-guaranteed dividend in that whole life policy on your money. At the same time, you deploy the money out and start earning a return on it in a real estate deal or in the purchase of a business or whatever kind of investment you want to do with it. So you can actually build wealth in two places at the same time, and the policy never slows down growing. And it's, again, growing tax-free. So that's very unique about it. And then the other thing that's unique about it is similar to uh, Roth accounts, you can build tax-free wealth, but you don't have any of the liquidity restrictions. So you don't have to wait till you're 59 and a half to dip into that bucket of money. And... Again, when it's structured and built properly, you don't have to report this asset to the IRS. You don't report what you're putting into it, and you don't report when you use the money because you use it through policy loans. So it's just very, very interesting, very unique. It, it operates differently. 
And then one other thing about it and why it might belong as a part of someone's asset portfolio is it's not correlated to the stock market. So the stock market goes up and down. We know that. The values of real estate can go up and down. The value of a whole life insurance contract only goes up. Uh, it's a fixed contract between you and the insurance company, and it actually comes with some guarantees, which is very unique in financial services. Usually it's taboo for us to even use the word guarantee, uh, but whole life insurance is, is backed with some pretty powerful guarantees. Um, and so it just forms a very, very unique asset that can be a complementary part of someone's overall financial strategy. Yeah, I've, I found it interesting. The more I've learned about real estate and, the, and life insurance companies, uh, there's even life insurance companies will lend on, on big uh, apartment complex deals because they know how reliable they are. And, and, and uh, <laughs> the more I've learned about life insurance companies, they've been investing in the most stable assets forever and for I don't know. For for a long time, real or uh, life insurance companies are one of the safest places to to bet on. And I don't know. Have you seen that? Do you see that when in in your presentations? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, mutual insurers are very conservative in their investment profile, and so the the monies that they invest are usually invested pretty conservatively. And those investments usually look like uh, high grade corporate bonds and commercial real estate. Yeah. No, I just found it fascinating. And, and the more I, I dove into multifamily real estate, the more I realized, man, this thing is really pretty stable if, if life insurance companies are, are betting on it. So <laughs> I just found that fascinating. So, uh, well, awesome. Um, you know, what, what more about the investment world do you, you know, really find motivating and, 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 and keeps you passionate? I mean, what, why do you continue to do it today? Yeah. Well, again, going back to what I said about the new things I learned when I started studying how real wealth works and, um, how money isn't this thing that's scarce that, you know, in order to get more of it, you have to work harder and work longer hours, which by the way, I'm not devaluing hard work. And so I hope yeah. folks are clear that I think there is value in hard work. And I think there are ways that you can be rewarded by putting in more hours if you choose to do that. But I think if you really wanna build sustainable wealth, it's important to learn how to make money work for you. And that aspect of what I do and educating people on <clears throat> the different ways to do that, that's what keeps me excited about it. Also, giving people access to, like we mentioned, you know, alternative opportunities besides just the standard mutual fund off the shelf type thing. Um, you know, our approach at Prevail is very unique on investment management because we do have client portfolios that they hire us to manage where we collect an asset management fee for that. So to earn our keep in doing that and to justify, you know, the, the asset management fees we charge, we have a very unique model that involves very active management of the portfolios as well. And um, how we do it, I think, is just really cool. You know, we have a committee in-house under our roof that actually 
actively monitors those and builds in strategic hedges so that we, you know, we're capturing gains out of the market where we can, but we're also limiting losses. And I think that's a big deal. I think especially our clients that are more established and have built more and have more to protect. Um, and Warren Buffett talks about this. You know, he talks about rule number one is never lose money. Rule number money. two, you know, see rule number one. And <laughs> we, we really try to help clients with not only gaming, because everybody who's invested in the market is interested in gains. But, um, you know, people can forget the market goes down too, and it can be really painful. And if it goes down 30%, you've got to make 60 just to get back to zero. So if we can help to capture, you know, market gains, but at the same time, limit the downside, that's huge. And so I find that really meaningful in my work as well, that at times like right now, where we're having tons of market volatility, that I'm having conversations with clients and they're thankful for the fact that they're working with us because their portfolios aren't down as far as the market is. That's exciting too, just to know that we're saving people a lot of heartache by not, you know, by limiting the downside. Um, the other thing, Eric, that keeps me passionate about what I do is when this business is done right, it creates some really strong relationships with families and you get to see things go full cycle. You get to see somebody fund the kid's education like they had hoped. You get to see when mom and dad pass on, they actually did create the legacy and they set up the plan correctly. And now it transfers the wealth. And you get to see now the implementation of that family legacy plan. Um, you know, I've gotten to deliver death benefit checks to clients. And as sad as the circumstances are when you lose a loved one, it people really appreciate that we had a plan in place so that when this happened, even though we don't want it to happen for someone to pass away, that because there's a plan, they're now taken care of. Um, that's really, really exciting to see because ultimately, you know, all of us have a, have an end point in our life cycle here on this earth. And we know so that the that's one thing not, we're guaranteed, isn't it? That's right. It's <laughs> one, of, one of the guarantees. And so just having a plan and watching that plan work is so fantastic. Because when I was a police officer, I saw the opposite of that. I saw what happens when somebody dies unexpectedly and there's no plan and it's utter chaos and the family is fighting and there's attorneys, you know, uh, that are <laughs> maybe taking advantage of that situation. And it's just, uh, it's sad when it works out that way. So to see it work out with a plan is um, is exciting to me and encouraging to me. And that's one of the positive impacts I get to make on people's lives regularly. So I enjoy that. It's awesome when you can find real purpose in, in what you do. So yeah, that's yep. glad you're able to, glad you're able to parse that out in, in what you do every day. So um, I wanna be aware of, of your time here. So kind of a couple of final questions. You have a favorite uh, quote or Bible verse that you, that that kind of is impactful or, or a guide for you? Yeah. Um, so let me think about the, the, the quote part. Um, Jim Rohn said, start with where you are and what you have. And I really like that because that, in 2011, when I was thinking about making this huge change, um, 
where I was going to change from being in this career I'd been in 16 years to starting a business of my own and didn't know where it was going to go. There were all sorts of excuses in my mind as to why I could not do that. Um, and Jim Rohn's words of start where you are and with what you have really resonate with me because you can always start. And it may not be optimal and you may feel like you lack for things, but the reality is you can always start. So start from where you are with what you have. That's probably my favorite quote. My favorite Bible verse is Deuteronomy 8.18. And it says, but remember the Lord your God for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Um, and actually there's, there's more to that verse, but I just love that first part where it says, remember God, he's the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So remember where it came from. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And then uh, last, so imagine this, you're in a room full of high schoolers, teenagers, they're about to enter into adulthood. You know, they're seniors, they're finally getting ready to step into the adulthood that they've wanted to be in. And the unthinkable happens. You actually have their full attention. <laughs> <laughs> what wealthy piece of advice would you leave them with? Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would encourage them to commit to self-development and personal development because that ultimately determines so many outcomes for you. And when you're that age, when you're about to graduate high school, you know, it's cliche and everybody says it, but, but really you do have all the potential in front of you. You have all these opportunities in front of you. And I think it's easily squandered if you don't have the introspection and the self-awareness to work on yourself. So I would just encourage them that the most valuable investment they could make is an investment in themselves. And that could mean attending seminars. It could mean going to a Bible study group. It could mean going and getting their college degree. It could mean starting a business, but to invest in themselves and to invest in their own personal development and to commit to that for life. That would be the best piece of advice I think I could give somebody that was graduating high school um, that would just help them immensely in future decisions, career choices, relationship choices, decisions on what to do with their money. Personal development is just key. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you shared that. So, well, hey, man, uh, how can people find out more about you and get in touch with you? I know, I know for anybody out there who's an avid podcast listener, all you got to do is search for Adam Doran and you'll find a lot. You've, he's been featured on a lot of podcasts and uh, you can certainly learn a lot more about what he does over there at Prevail Wealth. But uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you right now, how, how, do they, how do they do that, Adam? Yeah, LinkedIn is the absolute best way to find me. And I think if you Google my name, Adam Doran on LinkedIn, it pops right up. But I'm, I'm the only one in Kansas City and it shows me at Prevail Strategies in Kansas City. That's the best way to reach me. I'm on there every day. And uh, if you message me on there or send a connection, I, I respond. The power of being in an awesome network. That's how Adam and I met. It was on LinkedIn. So, hey, man, it's been great. I know you got to run. I look forward to talking to you again. Have a great day, man. Thanks, Eric. Enjoyed our conversation, man.
This is Eric Neely from the Wealthy Trucker Podcast. Let's talk about your financial wealth for a minute. Are you taking it seriously? Do you know what you're invested in? Are your investments properly diversified? Or are you completely exposed to stock market fluctuations? Considering the volatility of the stock market, now is a great time to diversify into real assets. Multifamily real estate or apartment complexes are one of the safest, most stable, reliable assets to invest in. It's why life insurance companies and the ultra-wealthy tend to have multifamily assets in their portfolios. What most people don't know is almost anyone can invest in multifamily. I started investing in multifamily several years ago. It did so well for me that I decided to scale up and buy larger properties by partnering with people just like you. Now you have the opportunity to diversify out of the stock market and start investing in real assets. Real enough that you can drive by them and see just how well they're being taken care of. The awesome thing is, you don't have to get out and pick up the trash or mow the lawn. I take care of that. So if you're ready to invest like the wealthy do, get a hold of me. Visit febroscapital.com. That's www.febroscapital.com. Schedule a conversation with me. Let's produce some financial wealth together. This is a wealthy trucker signing off.